Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. This is your host, Rick Stevens. And folks, remember that this, it really is your show. If there are topics that you would like to hear on a future episode, if there's a question you would like to have answered, feel free to send us an email, rstevens at frsfinancialgroup.com. Go to the website, frsfinancialgroup.com. Send us that little contact request through there or You can just pick up the phone and give me a call at 719-500-8700. We would love to hear from you. Well, folks, we are just a week into the new year. We are in studio with my co-host, Andrew Rogers, who's got a little bit of a glow about him today, folks. Yeah, a little bit. Rick said I was looking a little, you know, had a little bit of a maze overtone. Yes, yes, just a little bit. I mean, Andrew, it's got to be a good day to be a Michigan sports fan. You, you've you got it the is? national title in the pocket. You've got the Lions who took the NFC Norris division for the first time in a year. Since it was the North. <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's it's good to be uh, rooting for the for the teams from uh, from the from the sock puppet up it there. It is, but you know, just with everything, it's also waiting for that next shoe to drop. Of if there's an asterisk on that national title, if we get to keep it, uh, I don't and of think. Course, uh, the, I don't think the question will be whether you get to keep the title. I think the question is, do you get to keep the coach? Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Maybe a little less drama. Uh, well, I know he's not going to the Bears because they only fired their offensive coordinator. They did not fire their head coach. True. So, but hey, who knows? You, you he, can hope. He, he he could end up, uh, I've heard some rumblings of, uh, you know, maybe ending up uh, in the Broncos division somewhere. Yeah. I've heard two spots in yes. the AFC West are <laughs> yes. looking at him. Uh, so, all kinds of different things. That that may or may not be one of his goals for, yeah. for 2024, which kind of leads us into today's show. And, and folks, we're going to talk about those goals, those resolutions, the things that everybody does. Well, actually, not as much of everybody as you would think yeah. does, but a lot of people do at the beginning of the year. And, and Andrew, I'm going to ask, are you a goal guy, a resolution guy, or a none of the above well, guy? Really kind of a none of the above because it's hard to improve upon perfection, as I've learned <laughs> to learn over the past few years. Uh, has, has your wife uh, weighed in on that one? I plead the fifth. <laughs> good man. Good, good man. You know, How there, about you? There, there, there are a number of folks out there. We, we do, at my house, goals rather okay. than resolutions. Um, Seems very much on brand. Uh, yes, yes, very much so. Um, when you when you kind of delineate between the two, only about three percent of the population set goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, about forty three to forty five create resolutions. 
at yeah. the beginning of every year. Well, and as we're recording it here on January 10th, it's also, come to find out, National Quitter Day, where most people have already given <laughs> up on said resolutions this early yes. into the year. Yes, exactly. Um, we'll we'll kind of get into that here as we are kind of rolling through a little bit. Uh, but it, But it is one of those things where, yeah, about 10 days in, you're getting close to three quarters of the folks who have totally given up on that resolution mm-hmm. that they set for the year, which is not good. Uh, not not generally good. You're not going to see a whole lot of success if you're only working at it for ten days. Yeah. Um, you know, at at my house, we set the goals. You know, I set business goals every year. We do personal goals. Uh, last week, actually, uh, it was past January one. But it was our first date time that we had after January 1, because that was a Monday. Uh, my my wife and I sat down and we discussed our goals. We also talked about what she helps the kids do with them setting goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got this big, long acronym that that she uses. And, and I got to apologize in advance because it was the letters that she chose. And it's the word that it made. But I believe her acronym for the goals with the kids is SLAPFEST. <laughs> I'm still caught up on this. Did you describe this goal meeting as date night? Yes. Yes. It was It was part of our date <sighs> this past week. So when, when we're putting together goals, we're talking family and relationship stuff and financial and personal growth and spiritual growth. And and they're all good to to sit and talk about, right? A lot of folks will throw mm-hmm. it up on their on their uh, Facebook or whatever. Hey, my resolution for this year is such and such. One of the fun ones that I've actually been seeing is uh, a lot of folks saying that they've come into 2024 wanting to offend fewer people than they did in 2023. So it's your job to change. Yeah. So just I want to offend fewer people, so don't be offended by me anymore. It's a great goal, right? It is. It's, it's a wonderful resolution. Um, but this is this is one of those crazy parts when it comes to goals and resolutions. Only about one percent of folks, Andrew, actually write down their goals, and, and we'll talk here in a little while while yeah. writing them down makes a lot of sense. But do you know what some of those top resolutions were ten days ago for this year coming well, up? I think it's always kind of the same. You know, lose weight, get a little bit better shape. Maybe undo what you did during the holiday season. <laughs> and, of course, you know, the finances have always been a big one, whether it's save more, spend less, yada, yada. Yeah, most uh, most always those resolutions fall in either the uh, – we could maybe call them the fitness or the health category, or they're going to fall on the finance category, virtually yeah. all of them. Um, ballpark numbers uh, with this because I'm not entirely sure how – how scientific this uh, Forbes survey was. That's Forbes Health. Forbes so. Health, right. It's Ooh. healthier. It, 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 a little bit. A little bit on there. Their, their survey showed that uh, ballpark about 48% of folks who made resolutions made a resolution to improve their fitness. Uh, just under 40% did to improve finances. Uh, about 36% did to improve their mental health. And then you got more specific, lose weight, improve the diet, make time for loved ones, stop smoking, learn new skills, make time for hobbies. So you kind of see where it all works yeah. in there together. I think it's funny that 3% made a resolution, not a goal, but a resolution 
to be better at work. Well, and again, you know, <laughs> some of us, you can't do better than an A. Well, that's true. But my question is, how do they break it down? Because improving fitness, I'm pretty sure, would also include losing weight, improving diet, stop smoking. So it seems like they're using a lot of extra terms and extra bars on a chart right. to say the same thing. I, I, I was kind of feeling that myself. It It may purely be how they structured the questions because I don't have the access to that hmm. that part of the data. Or maybe they just didn't think a three-line bar chart would be that impressive. Well, that could be it too. That that could very well be it. Yeah. Um, so here here we are, right? We're, we're in that second week, halfway mm-hmm. through the second week. Um, it is by the end of the first week where 25% have given up on their New Year's resolution. Didn't even last a week. 71%, Andrew, have quit by the end of the second week. Wow. Yes. Well, and don't they say it normally takes, what, 66 days at least to actually form a new habit? So Something along those lines. I mean, it's destined to fail <laughs> if it takes, on average, two months and you're yes. not even able to do two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of part to that. And we're actually going to talk uh, today a little bit about why those goals, those resolutions fail. And uh, oftentimes, what I have found is the biggest problem that that comes with that is the person looking at you when you stare into the mirror. Believe it or not. Slender Man? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There, There are more often than not failures that happen because we're first not really even accountable to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And and one of the reasons for that is that we just think, oh, I'm going to remember this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just, you know, cold turkey making this change. We, we lose accountability in ourselves. We don't involve others in our accountability uh, either. And, and there's just some different different framework, different frame of mind that that comes out when you have people helping to hold you accountable. Okay. And part of that accountability also comes with writing down those goals. And once again, we we see that very few, uh, in fact, actually do get to that written part. Uh, One of the other reasons is that folks start their goal when there isn't necessarily a good time for change. Which kind of, if you think about it from that, uh, I'm going to eat healthier perspective, well, what have you done the last couple weeks, month, month and a half, if you include Thanksgiving through there, right? In terms mm-hmm. of that uh, quote-unquote healthy diet. Um, I will also say this. In January, there are a lot of memberships that get purchased at different uh, workout facilities that by February are just adding to the bottom line of said workout yeah. facilities. Yeah, so you're actually losing out on two resolutions because not only are you not going to the said workout facility to improve your health, you're going to show up on one of those annoying ads online <laughs> or on the TV about, do you know how many subscriptions you're still paying for that you don't use? Download this app and we'll help you manage it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, one of the things that uh, I will often tell folks is if fitness is 
one of your goals for the year, start in February. Yeah. Because by then, most of the folks that decided they were starting in January are gone, and the gym is back to just the normal, regular folks and, you know, maybe a couple of extra in there. Um, I actually try to avoid the gym that uh, that really that first week in January. I did end up uh, going one day, and I get there, and I went, usually when I work out there, maybe six people yeah. in the whole place at that point in time because it's, you know, like 7, 8 o'clock at night, and no, I'm not going to the, the big, giant, you know, 15,000 people work out here facilities. And I got there, and there were probably 40 cars in the parking lot and i thought to myself this is why i don't like to work out yeah at this time of the year well plus it's also that mental thing as you mentioned look at what you've been doing mm-hmm. leading up to this really probably halloween through yep you might need to give yourself a little bit of detox <laughs> get all yes. that out of there so you're a eating normal and then getting into that routine as well yeah exactly Exactly. You know, one of those other reasons that uh, that folks don't do well on their goals or their resolutions is that they aren't expecting obstacles to be in the way. Yeah. We we get this mindset that it's all going to be nice and easy, smooth sailing all the way, and then you go, you know what? I am going to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and go to the gym. And about the third day of doing that, if you don't normally get up at 5 a.m., which is like four hours after you're up. I mean, I was about to say, some of us are already at work at that time. True. It's very true. But for those that aren't, if you're not used to that, your body is going to reject getting up at that time of day. You've got to train yourself into that. You've got to expect some of those obstacles to happen. Another one of the big hindrances in this is that people set this big, giant goal, but they only measure the end result. They're not measuring themselves all the way through. Wait, they're they're only looking at the destination and not really focusing on the journey? Exactly. Exactly. More often than not, it's, you know, hey, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. That's uh, that's less than a pound a week, and I'm going to make this happen. And by the end of week two, when they're down two pounds, they're going, well, that's not even going to be 30 for the year. That's only like 24 because I'm only down two this month. Mm-hmm. Might as well just quit. Yeah. And don't look at it like, what should you be doing on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or even a quarterly basis? Yeah. We're just looking at that one big giant destination at the end and going, well, I'm not on track. I might as well stop. Or better yet, don't even look at those numbers and just... How are you feeling while you're working out? Are you able to go a little bit longer? Breathing a little less heavy. Exactly. How do those same pants feel January 1 versus February 1? Right. But, hey, if 70% have given up by the middle of January, they probably feel about the same February 1. Just just putting that out there. Hmm. Now, another part to this is, is having the right kind of goal. right? Having that right kind of goal that you have set for yourself and you know in the in the business world oftentimes we hear them referred to as smart goals as specific measurable attainable realistic trackable all that kind yeah. of fun stuff in there we're not going to talk about the business speak of this though we i've i've kind of broken them down into four diff- different parts here part 1 is the goal that you set it, it big secret now andrew the goal you set needs okay. to be your goal this can't be 
I'm, I'm sorry to say it can't be your wife's goal for you. Okay. It can't be uh, TJ's goal for you. It can't be my goal for yeah. you, Andrew. It's got to be Andrew's goal for Andrew. Well, I mean, there is one caveat. There's only one member of our house that is doing a New Year's resolution. Uh-huh. But he had no choice over it. It's our little guy. That's true. Who's done really well with the New Year's resolution of giving up the pacifier. All right. All right, because he has no control over a setting the goal and kind of no control over whether or not he gets it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's done well so far. Cold turkey, but again, just happens that we started on New Year's Day, so it was his New Year's resolution. He just that's good doesn't so know far. What it is that's good so far. Yeah, you know, here's here's one of those uh, different pieces, right? Mm-hmm. That that we look at. About ninety percent of of folks who have set goals. This was a study done. Um, I believe this one is from uh, a particular university in a state that has a team that plays in the Big Ten. Oh. I don't necessarily want to talk about the silver and uh, the the big state where their and- only accomplishment <clears throat> is that they can spell their surprisingly short state name. Yes, with enthusiasm and pride. Yes, yes, those guys. All right. Um, but but 90% of individuals actually perform better when the goals are relevant and challenging. Okay. Basically, hey, I came up with my goal for myself and I'm going to push myself a little bit. Good good piece on there to to think about. Is the goal that I have set actually my own goal? Number 2 is you've got to be able to measure that progress. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's the difference between saying I've made a resolution to lose weight and I've made a resolution to lose 25 pounds this year. To lose weight, uh, technically it's measurable, but uh, you know, if you started the year with a head cold and you no longer have a head cold by the end of the first week, you've probably lost weight because, you know, not to be too gross, there's no more mucus in that yeah. in that skull. So we got to think about what it is that that we're going to do, and not just that I want to lose the 25 pounds, but break that up into the benchmarks along the way, right? I should be seeing X amount of success after week one, week two, week four, week 12, week whatever in there. We also have to write them down. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dominican University did a study uh, that actually came back to show that 42% more people take, or you're 42% more likely to achieve your goal if you've written it down, which you're going, okay, that's, that's not too bad. Because that means that it's probably going to be in a place where I can see it every day. That's another big part of that. Mm-hmm. And what do you whether you take, you know, like a dry erase marker and you put it on the the bathroom mirror, you've got a post-it note somewhere, whatever the case may be, writing it and seeing it keeps that that focus out there. And the other part that adds to that is put the time limit on it. Yeah. Right? By the end of Today, this week, this month, this quarter, this year, whatever. Putting a deadline on that goal adds another 40% towards success. So 42% if I write it down, another 40% when I put a deadline on it, just doing those things gives me an 82% success rate. Well, and you also need to have you know some of that accountability too, where you also have people that are close to you that know what the actual plan is so that they can keep you on track. Exactly, exactly. Accountability is one of those things 
that when when we are working towards whatever that goal is, if we find ourselves struggling, which we will every single time, having that accountability in place, these are the folks that can come alongside and uh, either A, stoke the fire that they saw in us before, or sometimes it's probably not the best way to to, uh, to, to put it, but uh, can give us a swift kick in the pants when we need it. Yeah. I mean, again, if you have that goal to lose weight and to do it, you know, X amount a month, whatever, you probably don't want to be caught with a bag of cookies uh-huh. on the couch. Exactly. I need someone to say, hey, how's that? How's that goal going for you? How's exactly. that resolution? Yeah. Or, uh, hey, let me uh, let me see that. Oh, yeah. Those are not exactly what you ought to be eating right now, and I'm taking it away. Yeah. You don't have the, uh, the that willpower at the moment. I will be your willpower in there. One of the other things in here, there was, there was another study that was done that was looking at the feedback that was about whatever that goal was that, that folks had set. And feedback is absolutely important, mm-hmm. regardless of what that goal is. Right? If you've got a savings goal, hey, I want to be able to put away $10 a week in the savings account from my paycheck. Yeah. Terrific. Your feedback on that is not necessarily, you know, me coming up to say it, but it's you looking at the balance that's in your account. That's feedback, mm-hmm. right? You can see that the balance is continuing to grow. If you say, hey, I want to lose weight, all right, well, how much? Getting more specific, hey, I want to lose 25 pounds this year. Getting on the scale is your feedback. Believe it or not, Andrew, no, it might be hard to uh, to, to take all of this in at once. But if you don't weigh yourself on a scale, you don't know what you weigh. What? I know, right? But there are folks out there that I know, no, you don't have to get on every day. Don't do that, right? Because you're going to have up days, you're going to have down days. Here's one of those weird things I've discovered. The amount of humidity in the air in Colorado will change your weight. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, our cells actually lose weight simply from being dehydrated. So if we've got a little extra humidity in the air, we'll actually weigh more whether or not we weighed, ate something bad, any of that sort of stuff. So don't do it every day. Don't do it to yourself multiple times a day. Pick a day. Every Monday I'm going to. Weigh myself, or I'm going to weigh myself on the ninth of each month to to see. So pick a day that's far enough out that you're not going to be, you know, going over the top with it. But that's another way to build in some of that almost automatic feedback Mm -hmm. in there. And I'll throw this out there as well. Um, Don't weigh yourself on multiple different scales because I have in my house three different scales in three different places. I can weigh myself on each one of them, one after the next, after the next. I will weigh different on all three. Really? Pick a scale, use that one. That becomes your your benchmark in there, right? So research on this. Showing us that we will try to accomplish more. We will be, you know, kind of given that little extra oomph along the way when we're getting the feedback to help us figure out where we're at. Mm-hmm. So there's the there's the little feedback part. And 
Before we actually get to the break, there's one other piece on here. And that is we've set that goal, we've made that resolution, but what we actually have to have, Andrew, is a plan on how we're going to meet that goal. Yeah. Because, and, and we hear all these different pieces, right? Benjamin Franklin, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. We get Winston Churchill. He who fails to plan is planning to fail. Copycat. Maybe a little bit. Uh, one of my favorites, and I know this has been said a, a billion times by all kinds of different folks, but I love Herm Edwards because he's kind of expressive yeah. at times. And, and he said this on a uh, on an ESPN documentary probably 25 years ago, that a goal without a plan is just a wish. If you have no actual plan of action in there, it's just a wish. And then I know, Andrew, we have some folks in the listening area who may have some perfectionist tendencies. Yeah. And they want that goal to be the perfect goal and the plan to get to that goal to be the perfect plan. Now, there was a general a few decades ago. Okay. You may have heard of him, a fellow by the name of George Patton, who said a good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan next week. True. It's really about putting that plan to action. Yeah. We can make adjustments along the way, but if we wait until we've got the perfect plan in place, we're not going to do anything. Yeah. When it goes along, you know, with what the, the great philosopher, Neil Peart, ah, yes. ultimately said. If you do not decide, you've still made a choice. So it's either are you going to or not. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, setting setting those goals without putting together a strategy or putting together a plan, that's one of those obstacles that we talked about earlier that mm-hmm. actually will block you from reaching yeah. that goal. Goals, we, we, we don't generally accidentally achieve them, Right. All kinds of different avenues for achieving the same goal. But if we don't have that map in front of us, without that plan, without that map, less than 10% of the goals are actually achieved. It's almost like you're trying to go somewhere new in the dark. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's amazing, um, especially at this time of year, right? When the sun, although the sun's, you know, now only going down about five o'clock and not four, mm-hmm. but it's, it's interesting if I'm going someplace for the first time and I'm going there at night, it seems like it takes forever and the, you know, directions are all crazy. And the next time I go there is during the day. I'm like, wow, it was here. It's crazy, right? Yeah. To be able to actually see what you're doing, where you're going. Well, folks, we are up against that break in today's show. When we come back, we're going to talk about putting rubber to road, in particular in those financial goals that you may have. So stick around. We will be right back. Does stock market volatility have you wondering which way is up? Do the talking heads and doomsayers have you wondering if this really is the end? If you want straight answers from an advisor who isn't just trying to sell you something, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment today. 
And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back to Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO News Radio. And no, we're not shifting gears into a weight loss show or self help. We're still talking about money and how it matters to you just maybe a half hour in today. So, Rick is. Well, you know, what, what can we say? I. I may take rabbit trails once in a while. Yeah. So as we, you know, say that, you know, talking about money and why your money matters, let's kind of tie it in because everything we talked about during that first segment, whether it be weight loss, intentionality, things like that, it's also very much applicable when it comes to your financial planning and those goals, because we know one of the other big resolutions this time of year is to improve those finances. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, goals, the the concept behind those goals, they're very much universal. We start putting rubber to road on the actual financial side of that because while almost 50% of folks make some kind of resolution about their health, 40% are making that resolution about their finances. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to actually dig into that. Now, Different people in different stages of life are going to have different goals. I know that comes as a shock, Andrew. Mm-hmm. The number one financial goal that that most folks have is to, quote-unquote, get my financial house in order. Well, what does that mean? For the most part, it means i got to figure out where my money's going. Mm-hmm. i got to figure out what do I have coming in, what do I have going out, and do they equal one another? Versus am I spending more than I bring in, Mm -hmm. which means I'm getting that from somewhere, whether that's from the the debt, the credit card side, maybe I'm digging into some savings along the way. Getting that grasp on where does my money go is actually not as hard as we oftentimes think. Okay. But again, 10 days into a new year, 10 days into a resolution, there are a lot of folks that have already quit. Along that route. And i got to tell you, Andrew, it takes more than 10 days or two weeks to really build what's going on in that financial house with your cash flow. Well, and especially if you're trying to look at it over you know, a month's budget, all of your income and all of your bills, by and large, uh-huh. aren't going to all come out or come due, come in, in that first 10 days. So you have to take exactly. at least a month if not two, to see where is everything actually going, what is actually coming in, and how to reconcile the two. Exactly. And and oftentimes with folks, that's what I will tell them is, is take two months, take three months even, save every receipt mm-hmm. so that you can truly see what that cash flow is. Right. If if you stop off at the 7-Eleven and you pick up a candy bar and a, and a Slurpee, save that receipt because you need to know that's... That's money going out of your pocket in some way, shape, or form. You need to know that sort of stuff. After about three months, we get a very good picture in general of what's going on in your monthly cash flow. We can see what do you roughly spend on groceries in this time frame. Depending on how you have different uh, bills set up, you may actually be paying some things quarterly, like whether that's a utility bill or your trash bill. 
Um, for us, some of our insurance stuff is set up to be paid quarterly. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes it will take three months to be able to truly see what you've got going on in there. And then we can take that information and kind of expand it a little bit because I pay for my licensing on my vehicles once a year. Mm-hmm. And if those three months weren't one of the three months that the licenses for my vehicle were due, I've got to go, what else do I pay that wasn't already accounted for? Well, yeah. You're going to get 90%, 95% of it in there at that point. But there's some things you're going to have to add a little bit extra to. We're going to have to make some different decisions, right? If you're if you're doing this in say December, January, February, well, if you're using natural gas for cooking and for your furnace, that natural gas bill is going to be a little bit more expensive than it would be in say June, July, and August. And on that inverse, that electric side, say exactly. June, July, August, if you're using air conditioners, uh huh, would be higher then than. In that, you know, November, December, January time frame. Exactly. Exactly. So we've got to keep all of these different pieces in in play here. And what we ultimately do with a budget, and I know I've talked about this before, and you know, it's one of those things that uh, that Dave Ramsey will tell you as well. Doing a budget is really nothing more than naming the dollars that come into your hands or into your bank account, yeah. as as the case may be. And you can't name them George, Abe, Alex, and uh, Andrew as well. Exactly. Exactly. You've, you've got to actually give them, um, you know, some, some names that will make sense because you're telling them what to do. You're telling this particular stack of dollars to go pay my mortgage or go pay my rent. You're telling another stack you're buying the groceries for for the month. Mm -hmm. You're telling another stack uh, you're going to be the, hey, we're going to go out to eat sort of things. Or, or, hey, we've budgeted this in for our date night kind of things when you're not just talking about the goals for the year (sighs) on the date night. Doing that sort of stuff. And and oftentimes the the joke I like to use with folks is I have six children and they all have names. Mm-hmm. And the reason I gave them names was so I could tell them what to do. Yeah. Because otherwise, if I say, will somebody come help me? Nobody does because everybody thought somebody else was going to do it. But, for example, all my kids are at home right now, Andrew, all six of them. So if I were to say to my oldest, hey, Grant, will you come help me with... Guess who shows up to help me with Grant? Oddly enough, it's crazy that, you know, when we get the name and we've called it by the name and we have asked for specific things to do, not only do the kids do that, the dollars do it as well. Okay. So that's all that that budget really is, is it's is it's naming our dollars. It doesn't have to be seen as this big, giant, daunting task, especially in that early data collection phase. And yeah, I understand. Oh my goodness, it's it's the second week and I forgot to get a receipt for whatever. You know, Walmart, I didn't hit print for that receipt at the self-checkout. I just walked away. Now I've totally forgotten about it. Well, there are also typically ways unless you're paying straight up with cash to figure out how much you paid for that. If it's a debit card, it's going to show up on the bank account. If you paid with a credit card, it's going to show up on that credit card statement. And who you pays cash to, anyway? Well, only us weird people do. Um, just because it's more difficult to track if you're paying cash. 
Okay, that's really not it. Let's say that sounds um, like a topic for a different <laughs> show, there, Rick. Uh no, I'm a, I'm not the uh, off the grid Unabomber uh, sort of crazy there. No, it's it's one of those things that uh, you know there's certain places that you actually get things cheaper if you're paying cash versus paying with a credit or debit card, just because you're saving them the two and a half percent or whatever it is on their processing fee. And they actually lower the price to to help take care of that. So working these things through, sitting down, also in that budget world, and and it doesn't have to be a date night, Andrew, but but if you have a spouse or significant other that you are sharing the bills with, you need to spend time talking about, okay, this is what we're spending, this is what is coming in, and, you know, Dave Ramsey calls it having the budget meeting. And you do that on a monthly basis. And I actually encourage folks to to actually include that as part of the date night or the date afternoon or the date breakfast, whatever it may be, yeah. because that will actually get you more excited about talking money than, okay, it's time. We have to talk about the budget. Yeah, I mean, we know your feelings about budget <laughs> meetings and being a date night, so I get that. But, I mean, how can you do it to make it not like that? Because we also know listening with Dave Ramsey, all this, there's always, you know, seems to be that opposite attract type mode where one person likes to spend, the other person's a little bit more conservative. And shocker, they can be different people at different points in a relationship. Yes. But... How do you do that without making it feel as if one side is getting called into the principal's office all the time and in trouble? So the the first part of that is, and I used to have this uh, on on the T-shirts back when I was coaching, uh, my my team's T-shirts, our workout shirts, said we before me. Okay. So we are going to have a budget meeting and figure out how we are doing on this. It's not a, hey... I need to talk to you about your spending habits. No, it's a we. There's no me involved in this. It also backs it up a little bit to that goal process. These are the goals that we sat down and and created together. So there is buy-in actually up front, and you don't necessarily have to feel like, you know, your accountant is coming in, thank you, George, to say, really, you spent this on that? Why? Why? It's not a why. There, there should be no whys asked in there. It's simply a data sort of a sort of a sit down meeting. This is what came in. This is what went out. This is where we spent it. Are there things we need to adjust? Yeah, real nice, cold, sterile, very dragnet, very just the facts. Yes, yeah, perfect if, for a date night. If you can get Joe Friday in, well, a good way to start the date night anyway. And then you can watch Dragnet afterwards and, you know, just marvel at Joe Friday. Uh. So that's the that's the budget side. Now, a lot of people have those other goals, right? Not just to get a handle on where's my money going, but it's what am I doing with it? Mm-hmm. Two of those big rubber-to-road pieces are one of these days, I don't want to go to work anymore, and how am I going to have enough money to get there? Yeah. So there's the retirement planning, there's the investing side of that. Retirement planning, uh, I know that I talk with a lot of folks 
as they are, hey, I would like to retire sometime this year, sometime next year, maybe in the next three to five years, retirement planning isn't just a end of your work life thing that you should be doing. This is one of those things that we need to actually have that 20, 30, 40 year plan, especially if you're talking about folks in that, you know, 20 to 30 age group. Now's the best time for those folks to be planning about this because what they've got on their side is time and it doesn't take nearly as much money to get to what that end goal might be versus the folks that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s at this point sitting down to really go, okay, what do we want this to look like? Now, 40s and 50s, we can still have sort of that big um, sort of amoeba-ish dream that's going to float around and change its shape over the next 20 to 25, maybe even 30 years. If we're 40 now and we think, okay, it might be 70 when I when I want to stop working. But as we get closer, that dream starts taking much more shape. It really comes down to, okay, what are these bills that we're likely to have. You know, the number one cost in retirement is actually not something like a place to live. Really? Number one cost is actually your health care. Whether that is, you know, buying a policy before you are 65 because you need some kind of health care policy and you're not covered at work anymore. Whether that is the cost of Medicare and the Medicare supplements and the co-pays that you'll have. Um, all the way even into that long-term care side of life. Healthcare in retirement is typically that number one cost. And that's not something that we oftentimes think about, especially if we're just kind of planning this stuff out on our own. Mm-hmm. So we need to be thinking about, okay, things like, do, do I still have a mortgage when I get into the retirement years? That's something that I will oftentimes work with folks on to say, hey, if we can cut out 25 to 30% of your monthly cost of living, that's going to be helpful for that cash flow we need to establish yeah. at that point. Whether that's from a pension, whether that's Social Security, whether those are from your own retirement assets or some other assets along the way, making sure that that giant cost isn't there is a huge part to doing that. And that's, again, why it's a good idea, not just a year or two before retirement, but 10 years, 15, 20 years before to figure out how do I get rid of this mortgage by the time Mm -hmm. I get to that spot. So that's one of those pieces of retirement planning. Another part of that is, where am I going to live? Now, your house right now, Andrew, with two kids... Mm -hmm. By the time you're ready to retire, it might still be a decent size for you at that point. Mine with six, even though two of them are not there most of the time, is still way more house than we will need when it's just two of us. True. So. Hopefully. Hopefully. If the kids do their part. Right. And I don't have to change the locks on the doors. But the idea here is that if I need to downsize... I don't necessarily want to think about downsizing six months before I'm going to retire because six months before you retire, we might see something like 2023 and there aren't nearly as many buyers because interest rates are so high. Mm -hmm. Again, this is something to think about 
five and ten years before we get there. Um, when when we did, I will say this, when we did buy not only the current house we're in, but the one we were in previously, part of the reason that I went with, okay, I'm okay with this house, they were both ranch houses with a master on the main level. So in the event this was my last purchase, I didn't have to worry about going up and down stairs in mobility. Yeah. I thought about that stuff as, you know, as as a, uh, you know, late 30-year-old, I was thinking about I don't ever want to have to move again. Yeah. So if I don't move again, I can stay here and it's okay. Helping out old man Stevens in the future avoid those stairs. Exactly. Exactly. Because some days his feet are sore yeah. or his knees hurt already. I can't imagine what that's going to be like in 25 years. Although the stair the stair chair could be fun and a good reason for the grandkids to come back and visit you. Uh, true, but I have seen the movie Gremlins. I've seen what can go wrong with that stair yeah. chair if you've got a little you know electrical current crossing in there. So thinking about all these things, not just a few months in advance or even a year or two, but 5, 10, 15 years down the line doing that long term planning in the process getting a good handle on where do we want to go it's also going to help if we're looking at that retirement side to say okay i'm going to go to the social security website i'm going to find out what they say based on you know my earnings so far what i ought to be getting in my retirement years now for folks that are in my generation gen x I always tell them, whatever that number says, take 75% of that. Mm -hmm. Because it's probably going to change by the time we hit 62, certainly by the time we're 65. And if there are folks waiting for it until 70, oh my goodness, is it probably going to change at that point? Because we're talking 20, 25, even some folks that have 30 years because there are millennials turning 40. So if you're waiting until you're 70 and you're at that tail end of the Gen Xers, you could have up to 30 years. So what you're saying is one of those very, very early millennials. Don't even bother checking. Just figure out, hey, I'm going to work up until I need to take my last couple PTO days for my funeral. Something like that. Something like that. Unless, of course, you've put money away in your own retirement account. Okay. Rely on yourself. Now, do I think that it'll go away entirely? No, it's not going away entirely. And quite frankly... Uh, Part of the issue in the Social Security world is that the number of baby boomers far exceeds the number of Gen Xers. Not just a little bit, right? It's like an 80 million to 60 million difference in there. And the life expectancy a lot longer than when the system was first put up. Exactly. But as we Gen Xers get to that Social Security age, and there are about 60 million of us there, We've got 80 million millennials that are paying into the system. So, you know, there's an ebb and flow to that. There's a whole lot more flowing in than there is flowing out at that point. So all kinds of crazy systematic stuff in there. But that's, again, part of that retirement planning. We build it backwards. How much do I think is coming in? And then how much do I need to create on my own to be able to fill what gaps I'm going to have in there. And that leads us then to the investing part. I know investing can be very scary. Investing can be very intimidating. I don't want it to be that way for folks. 
in in that um, investing world, if you have a 401k or a 457 or a 403b or whatever it is that your company may have set up for you, that's an easy way mm-hmm. to make that investing happen on a very consistent basis. And selecting the funds, a lot of times the default selection is going to be what they call a target date fund. So it goes, okay, how old are you now? This is the date of these funds that are closest to your 65th birthday without going over because we do it like the price is right. We're going to automatically put you into here. But if you want to build your own portfolio, here are 15 options that you can build one with. So there are a lot of different places that try to make it easy for you to to have those choices. But there are also a lot of reasons that people come up with not to invest. Yeah. Well, and that investment too, it's almost the opposite of the other goals and resolutions we talked about earlier that you can probably get away with just setting it up and going and not having to constantly be checking on it and worrying about it and things like that because that's where you have to have that long-term perspective not like checking the scale once a week. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's good to, you know, check on that quarterly statement that comes to you or check on that annual statement that will come to you. But again, Dave Ramsey has said it more than once. Buy a good growth stock mutual fund and forget that you own it. And and I tell these folks oftentimes as a uh, follically challenged individual that if you pay attention to what goes on in the markets every day, you will lose your hair. I've already met that quota, so feel free to let me pay attention to what goes on. You can relax knowing that we're going to do whatever you need to have done in that portfolio. One of those uh, big pieces with that, again, finding that how much do I need in the end one of the things that I use for folks is what's called the 4% burn rate. What that really is is to say, hey, in my retirement years, I still need my dollars invested. I want them growing somewhere between 4 and 6% per year. If they are growing at 4 to 6% on average and I'm only using 4%, the likelihood is that my money will continue to generate however much I need in perpetuity, again, we can't look at it on a year-by-year basis. We've got to look at it over that long run because sometimes there's a year like 2022 where even in your conservative portfolios, you were down 10 and 15%. But the flip side of that is 2023 where even in the conservative portfolios, you were up 14 to 17%. Yeah. Well, and then let me ask you this with mm-hmm. it, talking about that checking in and maybe, you know, a yearly or quarterly statements. Is there kind of like a back of the envelope or like kind of eyeball math figure that we should be looking at? Like, oh, you should have, you know, maybe a much, as much in your, you know, account as your age or some kind of like little thing to have like, a, oh, hey, I'm either doing it right or hey, I need to call somebody, sit down, and start getting this on track. So I'm going to channel my inner Evan. I knew you would. On this. And it is going to depend. And it's going to depend on some very basic factors in there. Mm-hmm. Right? By the time you are, say, age 30, yeah. if you have $30,000 put away, 
you are actually ahead of the average retiree because okay. right now the average retiree only has about forty to forty-five thousand dollars in their retirement funds. Okay. Then we do the rule of seventy-two math. Okay. Rule of seventy-two is you take your rate of return, seventy-two divided by your rate of return tells you how quickly that number doubles. So if you're averaging ten percent. And everybody's, oh, how do you get 10%? Well, the market actually averages 10% over the 100, however many year market itself. Even if you broke it down into the last 40 years, the S&P 500 averages 11. Ups, down, sideways, there's the average. So if we look at a 10% average, that means your money doubles every seven years. So if you never put another dime away at age 30, at age 37, that $30,000 is now 60. At 44, that 60 is now 120. At 51, that 120 is now 240. At 58, that 240 is 480. One more double in that frame is going to take us out to roughly age 65. At 65, we've actually got almost a million dollars okay so if we want to look at that on the early side 30 by 30 is good okay that's assuming you put nothing else in if you really want to take a look at that future value uh you do what i do and that's you type into the google machine dave investment calculator and that's going to take you to the investment calculator on the dave ramsey website okay and you just pop in what's my current age it automatically fills in age 67 as the retirement age, but you can put whatever you want in there. You know, you put it 62, you put it at 70, you put it anywhere in between. You tell it how much you've got set aside right now. Okay. You tell it how much you're planning to put away each month. And if you're not planning on adding anything additional, you have to put a zero because it won't let you leave it blank. And then from there, you tell it, what do I think my rate of return will be? And again, it says the 10 to 12% is that, you know, average range. I always fall on that 10% side of things when I'm putting numbers into the Dave investment calculator. And you just hit the button that says calculate. Okay. That'll also show you when you go back if I change what I want to put in each month. So right now, for 2024, if you are under the age of 50... You can put $7,000 a year into a Roth IRA. That's, you know, ballpark, back of the envelope math, about $581 a month. If you are above age 50, you can put $8,000 away per month. That comes out to, I think, ballpark like $633 uh, per month, somewhere in that general vicinity Okay, in there. And you can say, okay, if that's what I can max fund my IRA at, what happens if I put in that much every month? Boom, calculates a new number. Or if you go, yeah, it's, it's you know, we've gone through the budget process. We've had the discussion. We can afford to put $200 a month away. I'll put a 200 in there. See what that does to the longevity on there. And you, you would be surprised. What actually comes out of that? I was actually talking with a client last week, and we were talking about this same sort of a concept. She's in her late 30s, early 40s. We've talked about how much she has put away. 
what that growth rate ought to be, how much she is putting away, mm-hmm. ran her through this and told her what her age 65 amount should be. And she was speechless. Yeah. Simply because she was like, wow, that's a whole lot more than I ever thought I would have at that point. I said, well, you know, welcome to the world of the compounded growth and how things grow and change like that over the course of time. But the reality of it is, if I've got a lot more time, it takes less money to get there. Okay. And if I need to generate $40,000 a year of income, that 4% burn rate tells me I need a million bucks set aside in my assets. Now, if I'm 55 and I'm just getting started, it's going to take a lot more money to get to that by age 65 or 70 than if I'm 25 just getting started. Okay. So different pieces uh, on through there. All sorts of reasons folks don't like to invest. Most of it's fear-based. When we go to the logic and reason side, it always makes sense to be able to sit down, put that money away, let it work for you. Yeah. Well, folks, that is all of the time that we have on this edition of Money Matters. If you want to get in touch about something in your financial world, feel free to give me a call at 719-500-8700. We will be back again next week continuing to talk about your money because your money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 